Welcome everyone to this podcast prepared by the Big Ride for Palestine Australia. My name is Ian Kerr and I have been participating in the Big Ride for five years now. The Big Ride for Palestine is an initiative by supporters of the Palestinian people that combines a love of cycling with practical solidarity and awareness raising. For this COVID safe activity, participants self-nominate a distance they will ride, walk or jog over 15 days and seek sponsorship from family, friends and supporters of Palestine. We want to bring attention to the human rights abuses endured by Palestinian people, the brutal military occupation of Gaza and the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, and Israel's continued violation of international law. In May this year, heightened tensions sparked by the Israeli eviction of Palestinian families from Sheikh Jarrah in East Jerusalem led to Israeli bombing of Gaza which resulted in over 320 Palestinian fatalities, almost 2,300 casualties and the destruction of 94 buildings including schools, hospitals and high-rise residential and commercial towers in Gaza. We raise money to support organisations that struggle to allow Palestinian people to live with dignity and peace. We have raised money for a school in Hebron, the Man Centre in Gaza, promoting sustainable agriculture. In 2020, we raised over $35,000 for the Palestinian Women's Humanitarian Organisation, operating in refugee camps in Lebanon. This year, we will again direct our funds to the Palestinian Women's Humanitarian Organisation, which is in vital need of support during COVID-19. And this has been exacerbated by the Lebanese political and economic crisis. We encourage our participants and supporters to deepen their understanding of the Palestinian issue, to discuss it with their friends and colleagues, and to join local Palestinian solidarity groups. Could you please introduce yourself? Thank you for the introduction. Uh, my name is Ulfat Mahmoud. I am Palestinian from Lebanon, uh, and I'm the director of Women's Humanitarian Organization. I've been reading your book, Tears for Tahisha. Tarshiha. Tarshiha. It's my village in Palestine. And I'm looking at the front cover of the book, and there are people carrying bales on their head away from a village down a road in what looks like in in the 1940s can you can you describe what that is actually i tell you the story of my grandmother because i was not born yet it's in 1948 when palestinians were really scared and afraid and it was heavy fighting it was there a scene massacre and People hear the news, they were terrified. So they decided to send women and the children to Lebanon because they were very close to the south of, to the south of Lebanon. Women and the children mostly, old people as well, they left the villages for just, they said, for two weeks. They were promised that only two weeks and you will return back. They left and they never went back. And this is the trip when they were leaving their villages to go to run away from war and from fighting to Lebanon. 
So that is the coverage of the book, the cover of the book. So that's your grandmother. Her name is Alia, isn't it? Yes, Alia. Yeah. Alia. So, and then so th- she has already has children, which would be, is that your mother, Hind? Is that yes, she has children. Yes, she has children, and actually, on this trip, she lost some of her children from measles, and so. It was very hard for her. She had uh, uh, four daughters and a boy, a son, with her, and three other than these three were, were died from, uh, you know, measles and uh, infectious diseases. Yes, I'm uh, looking at a, a photo of the Baraj Barajni Palestinian camp where she arrived in the outskirts of Beirut in the early 1950s. And it looks like a shanty town with a very dusty and there's lots of clothes hanging out on lines. So she moved into that situation on the outskirts of Beirut. Is that right? In- it's the southern suburb of Beirut, near the airport. Actually, it was first they went to the south of Lebanon because it's very close to their villages and they stayed there for some time. Then the United Nations, they established UNRWA and uh, they told people that they can't go back now to their villages. So they went first to the Bekaa Valley, uh, then they went to Beirut. So it was a long trip, like from place to place until they settled in Burj al-Barajni camp, yes. I read a comment about this in, a, in another book. The point that the author makes is that the Palestinian refugees became an inconvenience to the international community. How did that affect you? We have been refugees since 48, before I was born. And the interna- and actually, this problem is created by the international community. And they should be responsible for what they created. Instead, they get bored, really, and fed up from hearing about the Palestinian uh, situation. So they are not doing their duties. Alia must have thought that she was going to go back. But then UNRWA was set up, and then UNRWA created a situation where she couldn't go back. And they started providing aid in those camps. Not UNRWA. Not UNRWA. UNRWA, it's EU Body. It's the international community who created this problem in 1947 when they decided to divide Palestine into two states. And then the problem happened and it was war. So the international community should do more to help the Palestinian, to help solve the problem of the Palestinian of being refugees and help them to return back. The international community, they should do more. It's like we have been refugees for around 74 years and they haven't done anything. It's they should help us to return back to our country. They know that we were there before 1948 and they should work hard to help the Palestinian to return back. We don't want to be refugees forever. Uh, I'm looking at your book now and I see that during your lifetime, you being a really a third generation refugee because it, it was Alia and then there was your mum Hind and your dad Halil and then, then, then there's you. 
And then, of course, you have your children. They, he has a baby girl, yes, Leah. So that's Leah. She'll be the the fifth generation refugee. And I'm seeing in your book not only has there been the normal difficulties of living in a camp with insecure water and electricity and in very cold and wet conditions, but you've also been the subject of bombing. In 1985, there was was a bomb hit on the edge of the camp. You would have been really quite young then. Yes. And then I'm noticing that your connection with Australia through Dr. Helen McHugh is that you and she managed to convince uh, Cliff Dolan, the president of the ACTU, to help set up a feeder, Union Aid Abroad, with the specific idea of providing care and assistance to the Palestinian refugees. Yeah, that's true. And they still provide us with support and help, yes. You are not only a nurse, you're also, I'm noticing here that you have from quite a young age been exposed to the media and you've fielded questions from the media about the situation. Now, over the time that you've been doing that work, have you, is that, has the media been more or less sensitive to your situation? No, I must say it's more sensitive now because of, uh, you know, technology, social media. So it's more sensitive now. Yes. It's more supportive somehow now. There's a picture also here of you as a student nurse. Um, You're at a nursing school in the Bekaa Valley in, in 1987. Now, does that mean that you were integrated into Lebanese society, your training? No, no. This is Palestinian uh, school of nursing. I was teaching there. Okay, okay. So, And actually, we have Palestinian, uh, uh, you know, at UNRWA, they have uh, clinics and clinics only they have. They don't have hospitals. But PRCS, Palestinian Red Crescent Society, they have clinics and hospitals. I worked there. Until 86, and then because of war and because of lots of things, I enjoyed nursing, but I left. I left nursing, and because I did this community nursing uh, 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 training in Australia in 1984-85, so I started to work within the community with NGOs, raising awareness sessions and things like that. Uh, because all my ex- experience with nursing was during war, so I had enough. And I loved working within the community, so I went back to university. I had the three children, and I was uh, working at the same time, and I did uh, uh, sociology, psychology, and philosophy uh, as undergraduate. Then I now have PhD in psychology. Okay, and then you've also managed to write this book that I'm that I've been reading. Um, it, uh, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm, I'm amazed that someone from a refugee camp could do all of this. Yes, this is th- that was a motivation actually. 
I want to prove to the world that we can, we are human beings like all human beings. We can study, we can work, we can write, we can. So I'm not a writer, but this is my experience. This is my biography. Uh, I wanted to have it on, and I should now say thank you, thank you, thank you, Dr. Helen McHugh, because she encouraged me. At the beginning, I refused. I said, oh, expose my private life to, you know, it's the, and the, then I decided, no, she's right. I, I should write my experience and my biography. Uh, people can see from, it's not a political book. It's not a, an academic book. It's a daily life, you know, experience book. Also, I'm seeing you uh, with your son, uh, Shaka. He, he, he's, a, he's a Canadian citizen, so he's moved away from, from the homeland and is, I assume, has started a, his own career. Yeah, homeland, what is homeland for, for us? It's, uh, it's Palestine, which we are not allowed to go. So he was a refugee in Lebanon. And then he he had a scholarship to go and study in Canada, so he studied there and uh, he got the nationality. Hmm. But he is he was able to visit Palestine many times after he became Canadian. Aha! I see because of his citizenship that and you you can't go there because you're not a Canadian, but he can because. So how how do you, for example, you're a stateless person? How how do you come to Australia? Because I've seen you, I've met you in Australia. Uh, no, like I, I got invitation from Afida. Always, I got invitation from Afida. They sponsor me, and this is how I travel. So you don't have a passport, but there's a letter. Uh, I have traveling document, traveling uh, document, okay. paper, so which me to travel. Yes, it's a year since we spoke, and we spoke last time at the end of the last the 2020 edition of the Big Ride for Palestine, Australia. Now, for our supporters and riders and walkers, can you give us an idea of the current situation for women in Baraj al-Barajni and Shatila refugee camps? Actually, we work in Burj al-Barajni, Shatila, and the south of Lebanon, Palestinian refugee camps, mainly in Elbas. the work actually became very hard now. It's very hard to support families who are already experiencing hardship greater than was seen during the days of the civil war. And there are many reasons for, for that. We know that the whole world is affected by uh, COVID-19 pandemic and the economic situation everywhere started to be harsh. Well, like, but in Lebanon, we have other crises. The economic crisis began in Lebanon in late 2019, when we had the the start of the 17th of October revolution. And it was exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. After that, the 4th of August, 2020, Beirut blast. All of this made the whole country actually Half of the country's population living in poverty. Even people who had enjoyed a good, comfortable standard of living now struggle with soaring prices. 
So imagine for the Palestinians who live in the camps, already they have problem with work. They have no right to work in Lebanon. And already they live in poverty. Even the basic essentials nowadays, including food, is unaffordable. The currency devaluation has rendered salaries almost worthless. Almost. Because they, they, it was nothing the Lebanese lira. And due to restrictions, Palestinians have no right to work. And many people in the camps dependent on casual labor to support their families, which is, you know, that means they are dependent on daily payment work. But now, dried up. Due to COVID-19 uh, lockdowns and all the other crises we have in Lebanon. Now, uh, what, what shall I say? If you walk through on the streets, you will find queues of cars in front of petrol station trying to get some fuel to their cars. And people who need to travel to their work, they can't work now because most of the time they have no fuel. Children now are going, so, so those who work on daily payment, actually, they lost this opportunity. There is no more work. Even many companies who used to work in Lebanon, they moved now out of Lebanon. So many people lost their jobs. And they can't afford doing, you know, painting and things like that. So Palestinians who used to do this daily payment work, mostly stopped, mostly stopped. Left people without work at all. And now it's the school, now our schools are open now, you know, after summer, vac- after, uh, summer vacation. So these children, they will go to schools where there are no electricity. There is shortage of electricity, how they will study. We have been teaching our kids for two years because of COVID-19 online. But we don't have the resources in the camps. People, maybe the whole family, they all have one phone. How they can share it with their kids? They have four or five kids at school. So not all of them will attend classes. And computers, some they have, some they don't have. So it makes it very difficult to study online. And now if they want to go to school, there is no electricity most of the day. It's a very difficult situation. And also hospitals. Hospitals are struggling due to shortage of medicine and the fuel as well. Many cases of chronic illnesses like cancer, diabetes, heart problems. Nowadays, they don't get, they don't get their medication. You, you, you will search for your medicine and you won't get it. And if you get it, it's over expectation. The- So it makes it very difficult for people with uh, chronic illnesses. You know, the population in Lebanon, it's around uh, 6,800,000 something, let us say 7 million. From from, uh, COVID-19 virus, from the beginning of COVID-19 till now, it's more than 8,200 people died from COVID-19. And now the hospitals, they don't have enough oxygen, they don't have... So it's it's a very, very difficult situation. If people get COVID-19, they 
many people, they suffer, they struggle, and they die at home. So it's really, really a very miserable situation. And we don't know how people will survive. It's, it's, it's very difficult. And UNICEF, and UNICEF has warned that the current, that the country's water supply system is on the brink of collapse. So what we have? Nothing, nothing. It's like, I myself, I prefer not to leave the house because if you leave the house, you, you want to buy something you can't afford. It's very, no electricity, not enough water. Uh, most of the time, no Wi-Fi, uh, no medication, no medicine. How people will survive? It's really, really a very, very bad situation. Very bad situation. And you know what I call it? It's a dire situation with no end in sight. It's a dire situation with no end in sight. We don't see how it will be solved. Really, no one knows. So in, in it's my a very miserable situation. Sorry to interrupt, but in my introduction, I mentioned that there are two aims for the big ride for Palestine. The first one is to raise people's awareness, and but the other one was to provide, raise and provide money for programs to be run by your organisation. Can you give some practical examples of how that money can help um, the people? Look, I'll tell you, now people are in desperate, desperate need. I know we believe in development and it's very important. But to be honest, we need also as well some relief work, how they can, how, how people will survive. And the problem is it's not now, it's in the future. I'm very worried about the future because now they're in Lebanon, there is no uh, milk for children even. So what people are eating is very little and mostly carbohydrates. So after a few years, we will see what will happen to the health of the kids and people. Already we started to see anemia. We started to see malnutrition. And we all know these problems affect, affect not just our health, but our brains as well. So these children will have problems with their school achievement. But with the help, we highly appreciate really uh, international NGOs when they contribute uh, money or things to the camps because it helps a lot. It helps a lot. Uh, for example, it's very important now and due to lack of everything, it's to do uh, short courses to women, mainly women, help them like uh, cook uh, good food and affordable like uh, like uh, ideas uh, how she can meet and chicken is you know in, in our tradition they think they are like they should eat them daily so we should teach them we should teach them with help of a nutritionist of course how to cook affordable uh, meals for their children this is very important. It's very important as well to raise awareness on uh, now psychological uh, state of, uh, of the families. Like people are very angry, people are very afraid, they don't feel safe. 
because of the economic situation, we started to hear about lots of crimes taking place. And, you know, I'm not because I'm a woman or or, but women are more at risk of these crimes because they think, you know, women are weak, we can attack them easily. Uh, so in the, on the street, some young men, they uh, pull the bags, the handbags of women and steal what they, the bag and run away. Uh, so women are afraid now to leave the house. So it's very important to run some courses on self-defense or on exchange ideas, how she can protect herself, uh, what she can do while she are outside her house. Uh, we need to help them to to do sh uh, like uh, short courses, especially families who have who are not well educated. Because if the woman, if the family is well educated, even if they are poor, they still can do some type of teaching and and, and get some money. So we will reach women who are not well educated do short courses in uh, uh, you know making clothes on uh, uh, skills. So she can work from home. She can at least she can at least earn some money to feed her children. There are lots of other ideas as well. Also, for now, school schools are open. So you know, at least help with the children with uh, extracurriculum. Help the children with some stationery. Help help uh, children uh, to if they are at risk to drop out. Uh, to join special classes in our center, so to avoid the dropout. There are lots of ideas. Ken Davis um, from AFIDA mentioned in his interview how the alleyways in Baraj El Barajni camp reflect the towns and villages where people lived prior to Al Nakba in 1948. And several generations, like you have told us today, have now passed passed on and you you're struggling for the right of return to your own town of Tashiha uh, what do you say to the people who maintain that the Jewish people must have the right to go to Palestine and to settle there what do you say to those people that make that argument look first of all we believe we believe, you know, we have Muslims, Christians, Jews, we have um, also Hindus, whatever, like hundreds of other. So anyone, anyone can go and visit, like they can go and visit uh, Palestine, they can go and, but actually you can't put all Jewish people in one state. This is very dangerous even. This is very dangerous. We should spread, Muslims should spread the Christians should spread, Jewish should spread. It's like, so all Muslims should go to Mecca, to Saudi Arabia and say, this is uh, where we should live. Also Christians, for example, Jesus was born in Palestine. So they should all go there as well. This is not really, I don't, I, this is a very weak uh, argument. I don't like even to go into this argument, but I think if I am a Russian Jewish, why I should go and live in Palestine? I'm Russian. Jew I'm Jewish. This is my religious, not my country. Yes. 
the the international community seems to see both the 1948 and the 1967 refugees as an inconvenience. And recently, the Australian government took $11 million away from projects run by a feeder designed to assist the Palestinians. What do you say to Australian politicians and government officials who are making these cuts at a time of severe economic crisis in Lebanon? Don't, I would say, don't make people really uh, feel the injustice. If, when people feel the injustice, they are exposed to many, 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 uh, I don't know, many problems. So we should, we should live in peace and justice. You should not treat people as if they are nothing, like they are only, oh, they are Palestinian refugees, they don't deserve anything. This is wrong. You are forcing people. I'm not giving excuse to what is called between quotations terrorism, but you are giving cause for people to revolute. You are giving cause to people to do really, to be angry. So it's the opposite. You should, you should help people who feel that they are treated badly. You should help people to feel justice. You, had, you, you should help people to, to meet their needs. But by doing this, you are provoking them. Is there anything... Uh, thank you very much, Olfat. I know it's been very difficult even getting in contact with you but in these difficult times, but is there anything that you wish to add... Oh, I wish to say, like, please always remember us. We are human beings like you. We have been refugees for 74 years without rights or with very limited rights. It's not fair. It's not fair. Always when we talk, we say peace and justice. Peace alone, it's not going to work while peace with justice, is, it's going to work. And I believe in that. And believe me, sometimes like when, we, when I'm really angry of the situation of what's happening, and I remember nice people, I remember very good supportive people. It, it, I don't know what, it, what happens. Like I say, oh, no, 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 uh, the world is not really uh, unsafe. By having these nice, very supportive people, no, the world is still safe to live in. So uh, I would like to thank all people who are helping and supporting us. And because now of the big ride um, and walk, this makes us feel really very, very happy because we feel that they, we have support. We are not alone. So keep us in, our, in your minds and help us not only financially, also politically. Help us talk to your MPs, to your government, to, to, to keep their support to the Palestinians until there is a just solution. I noticed that your son, he wrote a really quite beautiful article and I'd just like to read out... Um, the last part of it, he says, 
While I could not fulfill my grandfather's dream of burying him in Tashiha, I did the best I could. I planted an olive tree for my grandfather in his village. I chose to plant the tree as a symbol of hope and peace for my family and for the remaining inhabitants of Tashiha, that they may be spared further conflict and war, and that one day my family in exile might too be able to return to their village. That's, um, it's, 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 uh, in a way, it, it's a very simple thing, isn't it? It's just how to achieve... Very simple, but very effective. Yeah, it's like, you know, give us the hope. Well, thank you very much for this. And I am want to urge people here in Australia who are participating or thinking of supporting uh, the Palestinian Women's Humanitarian Organization by uh, by participating in whatever way they can. Um, we encourage people also, one other thing is we only do this event once every year. That's all we can manage at our end. But I encourage people who are having thoughts about about how they can help in other ways, I encourage them to join their local solidarity groups uh, there are quite a few in Australia now. Uh, locally here in Brisbane, in Queensland, we have the Justice for Palestine group. It has a website and a Facebook page, and they conduct a number of campaigns, demonstrations, public rallies. And uh, I, I think that, you know, if you want to go to another level, that's really that sort of solidarity is important uh, so that people can still have hope. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And, and I would like to thank all people who think about others and think about us as Palestinian refugees and support us. Thank you. We highly appreciate that. And I would like to thank Afida for what they are doing and their support all the time. And uh, I should thank everybody. And because Helen McHugh is special, I call her my Australian sister. I would like to thank her for all her support as well. Thank you. All right. Uh, I hope you can now go to bed. <laughs> yes, I will tomorrow. I, I have work in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk to you again sometime. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,